Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. A little different setup today. I'm not in the home studio, and I've got a little bit different camera set up today too. So I'm using the Amcrest 1080p webcam from Amazon. And thanks to the folks from Amcrest for providing this for me to use for this podcast. And we have got a rock star on the Intentional Encourager podcast today. He is the founder of Ezara. It's a company created to support veterans and first responders and eliminate suicide by checking on your buddies. And he is a guy that is is purposeful and intentional about helping people through mental health issues. And we'll get to his story here in just a moment, but he's a patriot, a soldier, and it is my honor to welcome in Pasha Palanker to the Intentional Encourager podcast. Pasha, how are you today, man? I'm doing great. Excited to be on here and be a part of, uh, part of your community now. Pasha, I, I, again, thank you for your service. And and as we as we're recording this, and we're close, getting closer to Veterans Day, um, you know, not a, a public service announcement by any means. But folks, if you're listening to this podcast, and and you see, you know a veteran or you see someone in service, thank you, thank them for their service to this country. Um, it's the least we can do to support our veterans and and things like that. And Pasha is a veteran of the United States military. We'll get into his background here in just a few minutes. Pasha, I want to start here with you. How have you been dealing with things through the pandemic and other vets that you've been talking to during this pandemic? What What are you hearing from a lot of, of vets out there during this COVID-19 time? So this pandemic actually, so there's a, there's an uptick in suicides and, uh, there's a lot of reasons for it, and and for me personally, uh, I I struggled through it a lot more than I have before, and it, and it got so bad for me earlier on in the summer that I had to like I didn't know what else to do. I I went and I checked myself into ER on Walter Reed, and I ended up getting admitted into a psychiatric ward and spending some time there to till things have settled down for me uh and a lot of us are struggling right now and you don't have to be a veteran just a lot of most of us people there's a lot of good things about working from home and and being and being on your own schedule Mm -hmm. but then there's also the downside of it and that's the the human uh the human limitations when when we don't have the structure of work we don't have the peer pressure to do the right thing we slowly kind of stop taking care of ourselves. That's what the COVID-15 pounds that people gain or the uptake in alcohol consumption. And I, and I was a victim to all of it. But for me personally, what made it so hard was, is I have to, there's a lot of self-care routines that I have to do on a daily basis to keep myself going, to keep myself functional at home and with my family. And once my wife and my four boys are were at home, 
there was too much distraction and it didn't happen overnight, but I slowly, I stopped doing one thing and then I stopped doing another thing. And then uh, these issues that I've struggled with for a decade, they started to build up slowly. And because it happened so slowly, I didn't, it, it didn't just like I got hit in the face. It was, it happened slowly. And, and by the time I realized what was going on, it was already too late. And uh, it was very hard for me to recover. It took me going and, and spending a week at psychiatric word and then getting this procedure done, like stalactite and block, like shot in the, in the neck that resets your nervous system. And then I had to go on a 30 mile run just to snap myself out of it and back into my routine. So this pandemic has been brutal on me and, and I know it has affected lots of other people. I want to ask you about the care at Walter Reed because uh, just a couple of weeks ago as we recorded this, President Trump um, was in Walter Reed for COVID-19 and he talked about the unbelievable facility that exists for veterans and folks like that. And of course, we've seen images when, when leaders have gone and visited folks that have come back from war, that come back to Walter Reed. Talk about the unbelievable, talk about Walter Reed, the facility, if you will, because most of us civilians, Pasha, will never have the opportunity to go to a place like Walter Reed and see the amazing folks there that not only care for our veterans, but leaders of our country. Uh, so, well, first of all, Walter Reed that President Trump was, was in, he has his own wing at Walter Reed. Yeah, there. I, I got the chance to. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say you're exactly right. I should have clarified there that that the president has his own suite there that that has conference room and things like that that allows him to continue to work and things like that while he's receiving care. Yeah. So I thank you for clarifying that. Yeah. So I got a chance to meet President Trump back in 2017 when I was going through treatment there myself. And before the meet, before meeting him, they walked us through his presidential, it's not a suite, it's like a whole floor over there. Uh, and that place, I mean, he can run the whole country from there. So it was pretty incredible. Uh, but just in general, Walter Reed is, um, it's, uh, I mean, and everything state of the art, the equipment they have, the, the level of care, it's just, uh, it's what you would expect from the premier military hospital. Yeah, and, and you know something too, I, I really believe, Pasha, that our vets deserve the very, very best health care that we can give them. And again, not to be political in, in, the, in our conversation or things like that, I just believe we should take care of our veterans who are putting their lives on the line to serve this country and give them the very best that we have. And I think we, we have politicized that in this country to the point where people have run on that platform. And they said, well, we're going to do more for our veterans. And then when the rubber meets the road, nothing happens. And so, again, that's why I'm so purposeful about thanking vets for their service, because what those, what those men and women do are extraordinary. They're extraordinary people who do extraordinary things. 
Um, well, I appreciate that just from from my perspective. Uh, of definitely got and over the years, uh, going through surgeries and treatments. Um, yeah, I and through ended up holding on to them, but there, I know I have, and just hearing their stories in the amount of time that they're going through over a hundred surgeries and all that happened there. So yeah, that, that level, that level of care is needed and we're getting it. That's on, that's a great, that is so incredible. And, and we we worked through a couple of technical dish, issues there. We apologize. Um, but I wanted to tell Pasha's story because it is so powerful. So Pasha, let's, let's go quickly and tell your story here to, to these folks in the intentional encourager audience, because you have, as I mentioned at the top, you have been very purposeful about mental health issues, not only through, through, and, and I appreciate you being so willing to tell your story and be as transparent as you were when we started and as you are on LinkedIn where you and I connected and, and, and just being willing to tell the story, which is so important for folks. Pasha, take me back as far as you want to take me, you know, um, you know, to, to from point A to where you are today and kind of walk me through your story and walk the audience through um, some of the challenges, obstacles, things you've overcome in your life, just kind of how you got to this point in life. Yeah, sure. Well, I, I'll start just, uh, I'm going to try to be quick, but I'll hit the high points. So uh, my family immigrated to Los Angeles in uh, 96. I was 15 years old. We immigrated from Moldova, Republic of Moldova. It's part of the uh, former Soviet Union. And uh, we lived in a pretty rough neighborhood. Uh, we were on government assistance, like on welfare. And so by... by Did you speak uh, English? Did you or your family no. speak English when you came to, to no. LA? No, no. Learned it. Learned it here. Um, but uh, so by, by, by middle class standards, we were living a pretty rough life like wearing donated like i would wear donated clothes and, and uh, i remember being turned down like going to mcdonald's trying to buy a big mac with uh food, food stamps uh but you know despite all of that i would pinch myself i don't know probably for the first six months of my life here like i couldn't believe that i was living in america that that uh i was just so grateful to be here and uh, in this country so uh, as time went on like the, the more we lived here the more the more grateful I and and I wanted to give something back army and three and then at the end of 2004 I found myself in Baghdad Iraq uh, that was a uh, I ended up spending 2004 2005 and uh, about 11 months in Iraq. It was a pretty eventful deployment. A lot of, a lot of trauma, 
just uh, a lot of uh, seen a lot of casualties, like you know some gruesome scenes where a truck bomb would detonate in the middle of a crowded market, and then we'd be out there on scene trying to figure out what happened and, and just clean things up. For me personally, I had I had two very close call, calls. One of them was uh, I went face to face with a suicide bomber where I was the gunner and he was going after my truck and, and in order to stop him, I had to lean over all of my protective plates and barriers and, okay. So you, you join, you, you, you immigrate with your family over here to the United States and you decide, hey, I'm gonna join the military. Um, you and I have a mutual friend, Eric Konovalov, and his story is real similar, where he immigrated from, yeah. from Europe decided to join the military and and I, I commend you guys for doing that because that's just something you don't see a lot of is you're, you're that grateful that you want to join the United States military. You're deployed to Baghdad in 2004. Take me then to, to what you kind of went through when you were deployed to Baghdad because we were in the midst of Operation Iraqi Freedom at that point in our country. Yeah, um, so it, it was a rough deployment. That's just, uh, I was uh, attached to an EOD team. And uh, so we would show, I mean, every day, two to three times a day, we would go out either to disarm a bomb or investigate what happened, show up on the scene after something has exploded. So there's a lot of casualties. Sometimes you'd show up to this crowded market where a truck, you know, blew up and there is 150 people dead. Uh, kind of, you know, just gruesome scene, body parts all over the place, people crying. Uh, but, you know, that kind of became the norm. And it, when you see this stuff on a daily basis, you, eventually your mind get used to it. Asha, take me, I don't mean to interrupt you, but, but, but yeah. you, your, your family comes to the United States when you're 15. And was there, was there turmoil in Moldavia that, that caused you guys to come to the States? Is that what, what made you come to the United States in the first place? Um, what made us come is uh, just search for a better life. That's, I mean, I was 15. It was a decision that my mom and my grandparents made. There was not a whole lot of future uh, for me and my brother. And uh, it, it was, it was my, my grandma was, was the hurricane behind our move here. She, she lied to my grandpa, told him she, that uh, she had cancer. And the only way for her to get treated was to come here. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, and, and so now you're, and so now you're 20, probably 22, 23. You've been uprooted yeah. once and now you join the military and the United States government says, Pasha, we're going to uproot you again, take you to Baghdad. And you're in the midst of a war zone. You just mentioned that some of the things you saw. Um, I, I went to church with a, a young man that, that, that did a couple tours in Iraq, and it's hard for him to talk about what he saw. When you think about that time for you in Baghdad, 
what what changed you about what you saw? Because I can only imagine if I were in that situation, how it would affect me. What changed about you when 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 you had to deal with some of the things you had to deal with over there? So so before I talk about what changed me, I'll just say that that change that change happened slowly and and it's actually it's pretty tough to realize that you've been changed until you come home and when you're home and there's also a difference when you're young and single versus when like when uh, i like as i got married and i started to have kids the more complicated my life became like with wife and kids and, and family the more impact of of combat trauma trauma uh, 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 realized itself in my life. I five I was wounded for the first time. Besides being wounded, I went through this traumatic deployment. When I came back, it was the the physical. The focus was on getting physically healthy. So I had my surgeries. How severe were how severe were your injuries, Pasha? If you don't mind me asking, because we we see a lot of and and there there are things called the Wounded Warrior Project that that help wounded vets and things like that. So were you wounded? You were wounded in combat over in Iraq, correct? Yeah, yeah. So I'll tell you, I am. I know a few other guys like me, but I'm, I'm very blessed or lucky, whatever, whatever you believe in. I had, uh, I was standing on top of an IED considered, consisted of five, one, five, five artillery shells. The, the blast seat, the hole that was left in the ground was 15 feet long, about 12 feet wide and six feet deep. And I was standing inside of that. So when the explosion happened, I got launched about 15 feet and I was kind of, I don't know if I was knocked out, but I went through this like out of body experience. And uh, by the time they ran up to me, they thought that I was gone. They called for a medevac, but they called for a KIA. They did not, not for a guy that's been wounded. So my injuries compared, <laughs> They should have been a lot worse than they were. And, and let, uh, me, let me explain for the audience that may not understand what an IED is. An IED is an incendiary explosive device. So in other words, it's planted by the enemy. It's, it blends into the scenery. I, am I explaining that correct? It, it just, you, yeah. you don't know it's yeah. there until something triggers it and it explodes. And so a medvac yeah. comes in to get you. And KIA, they thought you were actually killed in action, correct? Is yeah. that, that what that, yeah. that terminology? I, I just want to make sure we, that, that folks understand what we're talking about. You were launched 15 feet in the air. You, you, yeah. you, you were knocked unconscious. A at what point after the blast did you come to, Pasha? So I, I'm not sure. I know about it. Like the, the, so I'll just, I'll just share. Kind of. So when it happened, I couldn't feel anything, and uh, you know we don't know what's on the other side of this life. So 
I thought that was it. And up to this point in deployment, it just I just finished watching a whole series of Simpsons. And I was waiting for that Homer Simpson moment when he gets up, like the soul gets up and goes, get into some trouble. So as I'm laying there waiting for something like that to happen, I started to feel the burning in the back of my legs. And I was like, oh, I can feel that. I'm alive. My legs are gone, but I'm alive. And then I wiggled my toes and I felt my toes press against my boots. I was like, no way. Legs are still there. Wow. Right. Then I did the same thing with my fingers. And I was like, oh. And then the last thing I checked was my groin area. And I was like, oh, man. Everything's was still pretty, intact. Yeah. Yeah. It was a pretty exciting moment. And by that point, the medic ran up to me and, and he was just like, holy smokes. So uh, that's kind of, I ended up having really bad head injury. My left ear was, is blown out, so I can't hear it on my left ear. I had burns and, and bruises and all that. Felt like I got hit by a train. But I, I got up and I walked away from that. Did they take um, you immediately, so you get on the med back, did they take you immediately to um, a field station where they where you got treatment and then they they would transport you how does that happen when someone is wounded in action like you were wounded in action well it depends on, on how severe how severe your injuries are had i been missing a limb i would have been on a helicopter then flown to the, one of the major bases and triage there and then probably taken to germany uh, or back stateside, but for me, because I mean, I was intact. I was, I was, uh, I was banged up. But I ended up going to a, just a, you know, the field hospital where they checked me out. And then because I was two weeks from going home, I asked that I stay with my unit and go home with everybody else. And I just, they just wouldn't let me do any more operational operational stuff so when you're so you you get back to the field hospital are they stunned after what they find out happened to you are they because i'm stunned sitting here listening to your story i'm stunned that one all of your limbs were intact even down to, to fingers and toes so everything yeah. is intact yeah, you're burned and, 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 you know, you've got ear damage, but everything's intact. I mean, that's amazing. Did you find that same response when you got to the field hospital? So the response was, uh, I had uh, the, the, the next day, all of our um, chaplains from, they heard about me, they heard about what happened to me. And uh, and they came out just to hear my experience, to, to hear it from me. Uh, yeah, everyone, um, I mean, it's still to this day, it's, it's something that I think about quite a bit. And, and, I want, and I want to say here, too, if you notice a change in Pasha's audio, he was, he was walking as we were recording this podcast, which is cool because, again, that's a form of therapy for you, correct? That, yeah. Just getting yeah. out and walking and things like that. 
And so, yeah, um, I, I'm glad we did it that way because, again, I want it, it helps tell Pasha's story in in detail about this this amazing guy. And so, Pasha, you, you you're you're two weeks away from coming home, and you convince yeah. him to let you come home with your unit. What was that like when you touched down on U.S. soil, surviving <laughs> the things that you had survived? And, and now you're back home. What was that feeling like? So even, I, I remember before even touching down on U.S. soil, when, when we're flying over and seeing U.S. soil from the air, like I had this feeling of, you know what? Like even if this plane crashes, I'm still like back home. Uh, just, I, it, it's, I don't remember a lot of things about my, my trip over there but this is one of the things that sticks out and then yeah of course like as the plane lands i think most of us kiss the ground being back home and uh and especially back then like back in the day those, those deployments earlier are like from 2005 2009 were very rough in iraq mm-hmm. and uh just being home and and it's 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 a feeling that's hard to describe pasha when when you get to back to the united states did you go immediately to walter reed and how did you treat your injuries for those two weeks you you get hurt you've got two weeks till you come home you say hey i want to come back with my guys i want to be with my unit how did you deal with your injuries before you got home and then what did you, how did you deal with them after you got home? Um, so I, I, because I had a really bad concussion. I don't remember much. I mean, I, I think I was drooling on myself for the next few weeks. Uh, I don't know. I don't remember thinking much about my injuries. And then there's also that, that effect of like, man, I can't, it's still being in awe of surviving that that explosion and uh so i i don't remember much about the injuries i i uh my duty station at the time was hawaii so i ended up in hawaii and then and then and then you know our doctors my doctors made sure that i went to all my appointments and this stuff but that, that part was not was not that significant so when you get back to the states and, and you're you're now getting medical treatment, you 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 tell you're talking about the concussion you sustained from the IED. Was there a point where you had an old and I'll say it this way, an old crap moment? Like I survived this. Did you ever have a point where people looked at you like, I can't believe you're walking into this place? Because Again, as I mentioned a moment ago, I'm trying to wrap my head around how you survive an IED blast. I'm trying to wrap my head around how you're in one piece. Were, were you kind of, let me ask the question this way, Pasha. Did, did your doctors kind of look at you like, man, you really shouldn't be walking in here right about now with all you went through. Were you kind of a walking miracle, do you think? Uh, well, that's... I certainly feel that way. Uh, before, 
So before this explosion happened, I had a, a face-to-face with a suicide bomber about a few months before that. And uh, so this is the second thing that happened to me that, that uh, and with the suicide bomber, I was the gunner in my, in my Humvee and, and he was driving his vehicle attempting to ram into, uh, ram into us. And, and he got so close that I had to lean over my protective plates to engage him with my M4. Um, and, and he also blew up about 10 feet from me. So by the time the second explosion happened, I've already had that, sorry. I already had uh, a close call before that. So it kind of became, that's what I became known for within my unit. Uh, just just being that that uh, lucky last guy that that things happen to me, but I end up walking away from them. Um, I don't know. I don't know how much time we have left. I just want to make sure. So this stuff, these these explosions, these traumatic experiences that have happened to me. They're a big part of a big part of my life, and they affected who I am. But uh, I want to make sure we get into like the life afterwards. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead and talk about your life afterwards. That's a great place to transition, because your life afterwards now is is obviously not the same as it was when when you left to be deployed. Talk about some of the things that you faced challenges things you overcame and 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 I'll, I'll ask you this this way take me through some of the lessons you learned about yourself and about life through those experiences okay so so like even my first deployment that we just talked about these these two incidences with the suicide bomber and then the other id all of that there's a lot of there's a lot of us that that happened to you know some were luckier than others but that's, you know, the only reason why I talk about that stuff is, is just to highlight the fact that I went through these traumatic experiences and, and even knowing that I went through all of that, when it came time for, to my mental health, I still did not think that uh, I would be impacted by it, like the PTSD in the impacts of TBI and, and, and that happened because I just did not know enough about post-traumatic stress. I didn't know what the symptoms are. I did not know what to look out for. So, so for the first five years of me struggling, I just, I was in denial. Even though I had that, those experiences, I was still in denial. It's like, that's not me. I'm, I'm okay. I'm going to be okay. And then the second five, like the second half of the decade, I was like, I, I started to feel, yeah, maybe there's something there, but that's when I made my second mistake and I underestimated it. I thought it would just go away. I thought it would get better with time and it didn't. My life, my life slowly was slowly spiraling and it was spiraling out of control. So from 2005 and until 2015, I was in a very low point in 2015. 
and then I end up going back to Iraq. That's when the, the, the when the ISIS fight was going on, and I end up getting hurt again. And uh, this time it was a rocket that came in out of nowhere and hit very close. And and I I don't even want to get into details of that, but what that explosion did, it it sped up my spiral. I remember getting home and going to a grocery store and having this major panic attack and uh, like having difficulty driving. I would, I would drive to work and then I would look around and, and not know where I was. So, so how, I, I want to ask you, I want to, I want to jump in here for just a yeah. second. How was it Pasha that you, you went back to Iraq? Was it so, so when you recovered, you stayed in active duty did you make any more trips before 2015 back to Iraq or was 2015 your first trip back there since you, since you left after you got hurt? I made, I made other trips, but it wasn't to Iraq. So I went, uh, I've deployed to other places around the world, but I haven't been back to Iraq since 20, since 2005. So you go back there in 2015 and you're in the middle of, 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 an ice, of this ISIS fight. Did all of those feelings that you had when you left in, in 05, did they come back when you got there? Or were oh. you just focused on the mission at hand? No, you're, you're, you're on it. Uh, as, soon as, as soon as that ramp opened up when we landed in Baghdad and that hot air and the smells hit me, everything, everything that's been stuffed deep down inside of me everything came just rushing out and uh, before i even got hurt i remember just struggling struggling to get through each day uh just just having a hard time functioning like doing things that i was supposed to do over there and uh, that it, it never got better up until the point when i got hurt again and uh, eventually I got sent home early from that trip uh, because and, of it. And Pasha, I, I wanna, I, I've got to ask one more question. I've got, to, I've got, I've got to, to just go a little bit deeper here, if you don't mind. What's the internal conflict like for Pasha the soldier versus uh, Pasha the man? Because the soldier in you, you're there to do a job. You're there to execute a mission, right? You, you, have a, you have a plan. You know what you're supposed to do. Your training is, is regimented. And, we, and we're, we're familiar with the training that, that soldiers go through in, mil, in the military. You know what your mission is, but you're a human being and you're dealing with, these, with the PTSD that, that you thought was getting better and you get back over there and these things start rushing back to you. What was that internal conflict like for you? You said it was hard to function during the day. Was it, were you having a battle within yourself going, I've got to kick myself in the butt and get this and go do my job? Or, or what was that internal conflict like for you? Um, man, your insight is incredible because that conflict was, I was lost. I mean, just, that's just the bottom line. I was, I was, I was lost. Like things are happening around me, but I'm just, I'm just so focused on, I got to get this done. 
and I would just take it one task at a time and I couldn't even focus on the rest, which is, that's not, that's not optimal when you're in a combat situation. But uh, I was so overwhelmed by, by all these like feelings and emotions as I'm trying to get through each day. Uh, that, I mean, it, I, w- I was just consumed by, by, by all of that. And I, the, the, the conflict in me was, I got to get through the day. I got to accomplish what I need to accomplish. And I would just, it felt like I was dragging an anchor behind me as I'm trying to move forward. But that's, that's how I would get through each day. It was, there was no, I could not just stop and say, I need to go home. There was, that was never an option. Uh, and then, you know, another thing that compounded that is like, I felt like I was not performing up to the standard that I should have been performing. But again, what, how do you, that stuff is, is so difficult to explain. How do you explain to somebody that you're struggling mentally and emotionally without the person on the other side thinking that you're just trying to get out of doing work or that you're trying to go home early yeah so it's it's impossible so there was no that was not an option for me so i just had to put my head down and just keep moving forward and that's what i did Uh, but it was not easy and you get back to the states and you you talk about driving to the grocery store not knowing where you were at the panic attack things like that you you've always been strong you've always been a guy that's that's overcome and now this hits you what are you thinking at that point when you're going through this is it is it overwhelming is it scary what 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 are your thought processes around it um again it's overwhelming it feels like a lot of my 2015, 2016, and 17 were just, I was just overwhelmed. Uh, but um, I get back home and I'm sure that you add the fact that overwhelmed and I'm at home and I would, when they would trigger my, uh, uh, you know, they would do something that would trigger me and then I would overreact. And there was a lot of angry outbursts. Uh, and then it got to a point to where I started to see my anger inside of my kids. Like I would started to pass my PTSD down to my children. Like they were having secondary PTSD. And so then that added some guilt into this whole mix of, of everything that's going on in, inside my head. So I'm overwhelmed. I'm, I'm struggling at home. I'm failing as a father. That's what I feel like because now my kids have anger issues because of my anger issues. It was just, it just felt like I was being crushed, just crushed by the world. Uh, it, I, I, you know, it, it got to a point to where I could easily understand why somebody would commit suicide. Because when, when you can't function, when you're hurting people around you, 
you, when you feel guilty, you feel like uh, everyone is like everyone's better off without you. That's that's what it feels like. And uh, eventually, I, I remember my 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 mind just going numb, just going numb to everything. That's I think that's that's probably a self defense that we all have is when you're in so much pain, eventually you're gonna go numb and you stop feeling. And when that happened, uh, that to me felt very, very dangerous because I just did not care. I did not care about consequences. All I wanted was to get away from, from, from the pain. I've got to ask you, yeah, I've got to ask you a couple more questions. And and man, I, I appreciate your transparency. Why is it so important to you to be as transparent as you are? Because here's the thing, Pasha, a lot of guys would say, I'm not telling that. I'm not going here. I'm not doing this because it, it shows chinks in the armor, so to speak. Why are you so intentional about telling everything? And I admire you for that, and I appreciate that. Thank you for being as transparent as you are. Why is it so important to you to do that? So I appreciate you saying that. Why is it important to me is because in uh, 2018, I lost six friends to suicide. Uh, that's just 2016, and there have been steady, uh, at least, at least three friends every year. I lose to suicide, and that's just me. And then I like, I talk to my buddies who served in different units. Uh, the reason why I share this, and I'm being so transparent, is because I'm not, I'm not alone. That's going through this. But when we are going through these struggles, we feel like we are alone. We feel like we don't share this stuff because we feel like people will not understand it. And when you share something and you're not understood, then you feel rejected. And then, and then that adds to the, to the pain and suffering that we're going through. So it's easier not to say anything. So I decided to start sharing my story in order to reach those, those of us who are struggling, just like I am and I was. And uh, hoping, because it, it takes, you know, sometimes it takes text message at the right time that would prevent somebody from, you know, pulling a trigger. Um, so that's why that's why I started sharing this. That's why I uh, started working on Izara, and uh, that's it's it's about helping others who are struggling. Yeah, go ahead, Pasha. My last question I've got for you, man, and, and I so so appreciate your time and being so transparent. And your story is going to help so many people and i would encourage you if you're listening to this podcast and you're dealing with some of the things that posh is talking about you don't have to be a military veteran but you can have a business that that has gone south this year for for whatever reason you're struggling with 
depression and, and PTSD. Maybe you've been in a traumatic relationship, things like that. I would encourage you to reach out and talk to somebody. But Pasha, I want to hear it from you. What's your biggest piece of intentional encouragement for, for folks that are struggling with some of the things that you struggle with yourself? So the, the number one thing, um, so do what's going on in your life. Find there's all the things that we can't control. And you kind of this like deep dark hole was saying, and I grabbed onto it and I started and I started doing it until it became a habit. So that made it easier and that encouraged me to grab onto the next thing and to the next thing. And what that thing is, it depends on and, and who you are and what you're going through. But you have to be intentional in wanting to get better. So be, be aware of what's happening to you and why it's happening to you. And second thing, take responsibility for but you're responsible in how you react. If, 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 if you blame somebody in a situation, but if you take responsibility, so those, those two things is like changing my attitude, paying attention to what's happening to me and around me and why it's happening, and then owning the things that I can't control, that's what changed my life for, for the better. That, into where I can be here and talking to you and sharing my story. I hope it works for you. Pasha Palanker, I cannot thank you enough for, for being as transparent as you've been and sharing with us. And, and I love what you said there at the end about being aware of what's going on inside you, taking responsibility for it. Um, and just reaching out because it's so important. And, and folks are dealing with, with things as we record through the pandemic, they're dealing with different things in different ways. And so I wanna thank you so much for being a part of this conversation today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Folks can find you on LinkedIn at Pasha, P-A-S-H-A, Palanker, P-A-L-A-N, AK or I'm sorry, I butchered that, my friend. I have butchered that, which is not which is not an issue. So spell your last name for the folks since I since I horribly butchered it. <laughs> so I'm 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 uh, on uh, LinkedIn and, and Instagram at the same handle as Pasha Palanker. P A S H A P A L A N like November K E R. See when you when, you know when you're working with limited functionality like I am, man. I mean, and I'm only on my first cup of tea today, so. But uh, yeah, that's Pasha P A S H A P A L A N K E R Pasha Palanker. Man, thank you from the bottom of my heart, bro. Thank you so much for being on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Likewise, happy happy to be a part of this and be a part of your community, and 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 if. 
if anybody wants to is struggling and wants to send me a message, please do. I, I'll respond to to every message I get. Um, just I'm glad, glad, uh, thankful to you and your audience for the time they took to listen to my story. Thank you, Pasha. I appreciate it, man. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. And until next time, remember, everyone, everywhere, at any time, and any place can be an intentional.